Welcome to episode 324 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carasino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. But it's a semi-emergency pod here. It also is fitting that this is episode 324 because of the game that just happened in the house that Griffey built. It's the A-Rod slash Griffey episode of the pod an instant there we go an instant classic an a-rod slash griffy podcast because of the two teams who are participating also <laughs> it also checks out yes uh the seattle mariners <sighs> outlasted the new york yankees in 13 innings 12 and a half of them scoreless finally in the, what is tied for the longest baseball game this season uh with the new rules putting a runner at second and in extra innings the longest scoreless game since they adopted those roles. Our savior, thy name is Loris Terence. Did not expect it to happen. The only time he took the field the entire game. And then he gets Gatorade dumped on him at the end. Incredible. I've told you this so many times. Winning a game big, that's fun, right? But you have to see the darkness. And you know what we saw today? There were so many times that I was sitting there watching this game where I was like, it is going to fucking suck to like we've invested so much time and energy and emotion into this game and to lose it at the end of this that is going to feel awful but on the flip side of that after investing that time and energy and emotion into a game coming up with a w on a larise trends base knock that is what sports is all about baseball's fun i and Julio <sighs> rodriguez didn't even participate in this I, game I, I was and it was that for fun. i actually saw him a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very, was comfort, very comforting every time I saw him. <laughs> Where did you think he was gonna be? Just, I just, I just like seeing him. <laughs> okay. I just like knowing he's okay. All right, well, let's let's pause a moment here to uh, toast with our beer this week from the Bread series, going back to Ruben's Brews. As I also picked this up last week, along with the beer we had on the pod uh, last week. This is the South Sun Mexican style lager. Thirst-quenching, balanced, and very refreshing Vienna Pilsner and flaked corn provide the light, smooth body with delicate zazz hops, adding to a crisp finish. Luis Torrens is Venezuelan. Oh, there we go. Okay, not Mexican. No, no. I had to look. I had to check. It was a good. It was a yeah. good choice. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and a toast while we're here, by the way, to Rubens for their tenth anniversary with this, which they celebrated last Sunday with an event. So awesome for Rubens. Their tenth anniversary as a brewery. I mean, I assume so. Or just this beer. No, no, not this beer. So the Mariners' drought has lasted. Their playoff drought has lasted two of Ruben's Brew's lives. That's correct. Wow. Yes. There well, we go. One Sue Bird career or two Ruben's beers. Two, two Ruben's Brew's life. This one was, I, I feel like we've had some very fun games this season, but this was way, way up there. I mean, the, the anytime last... you get that deep into extra innings, baseball is just going to inherently become fun. And it was, as they said repeatedly on the broadcast, it felt like October in this game. That's what I was thinking. So early on, they were talking about how the playoff atmosphere that it felt like, right? Two aces going against each other. And I was just like, that's great. But like the Yankees are going to make the playoffs. We've seen the fan graph playoff odds. We know they're in. We got to get there first. The Baltimore Orioles are right behind the Mariners right now. Say what you will about how fan graphs views their playoff odds. But 
The Mariners still need to win the games, and every win goes a very, very long way to doing that. For the record, the way they view the Orioles' playoff odds is bad. It's, it's, they just, view them as 2021 Mariners. It is, That's how they view them. Are there two co- fan graphs? I'm sorry, you're too confident about the Mariners. 82.5%. It was 84 like after yesterday. today's win. Just, just be cool, fan graphs. We just want it to be, this is like perfect game situation, right? Just say it's zero. We're, say there's no We're not no talking odds. about it? Yeah, don't talk about it. That's all we ask for. But also, watching this game, you know, we talked about, look, maybe the Mariners gave up too much for Luis Castillo. Who gives a buck right now? When you've seen Luis Castillo out there dealing, shutting down the Yankees for not the first time, not the second time, the third time since July. That's right. Going back to the Cincinnati Reds, baby. Luis Castillo owns the Yankees. And if these two teams should face each other in the playoffs, it would be a beautiful sight to see Luis face the Yankees again. And you see him pitching and it's like, look, we all love Logan Gilbert. We love, we like Robbie Ray, but (laughs) George Kirby's exciting. We enjoy Robbie Ray's pitching. Luis Castillo has stuff. You know, when you see Luis Castillo and he's on, he is dealing like no pitcher the Mariners have seen since Felix. We're talking territory like it is Randy Johnson, it is Felix Hernandez, it is Luis Castillo as wow. far as the uh, just, That's how just far we're stuff. Going. Just the stuff okay. that he has, right? You see that. This is not like junk ball. Like Luis Castillo it's not is not Jamie a, Moyer. He is a fucking pitcher out there. Clem Fandango uh, replied to the emergency <sighs> pod tweet with the rally shoes on the hat. Is this going to be a thing now? It's going to be a thing. I don't know where this came from, but it is quite something. It is definitely quite something. I mean, uh, this is the most legitimate emotion I've experienced watching a Mariners game at, at any point in, I don't know, many years now. Uh, it started the Aaron Judge at bat. Where uh, Munoz came in and really, oh yeah, the, I mean that whole worked the count Munoz. full, but but that, that at bat in particular because a it's Aaron Judge and yes. b the count going full and punching him out at that point, legit fist pump at that. Oh point. yeah, there we go. Were you listening on the radio when you got it? No, I was still watching at home. That was before oh, I drove over to your house and still had time. I drove over to your house. I think I left in the bottom of the ninth, and. Still made it here in time to watch a solid three innings. You're in. You are full. I've I've been in, but like you're all the way in now, especially after this game. I, mean, I don't know if I'm all the way in. I still didn't watch like the first seven innings of this I game because I was watching doing. the W. The that Munoz inning though, you look at it just kind of top to bottom, right? Like the Luis Castillo start, it doesn't get lost in all of this because he shut down the Yankees. They were scoreless heading to extra innings. He pitched eight. Garrett Cole only pitched seven, right? Luis Castillo still out dealing Garrett Cole every week. Uh, you see that, but then not, not just Castillo. The Seattle Mariners. The Seattle Mariners. Uh, but then you look at the bullpen and three consecutive innings getting the lead runner out, the, the free runner on second base, going, getting that runner out, boom, 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 that they did that Seawald, Matt Brash twice. Like, it was a very, very impressive performance from this bullpen. The Mariners' bullpen did not allow a hit. That is incredible. It's wild because it felt like there were so many base runners, but that's just because they kept a putting a runner, runner on yeah. second. Yeah. You get a free runner. But those base runners kept getting out on the base paths also. The Yankees might be really good at hitting. The Yankees might be really good at pitching, but the Yankees can't base run for shit. There we go. That's my take. There we go. 
I just had so much fun watching this game. All the way down to you seeing Sam Haggerty get intentionally walked twice, twice in extra innings. God, I love Sam Haggerty. But that happening, Sam Haggerty on third base with Eugenio up. Like in the batters who got walked tonight intentionally. Aaron Judge once, <laughs> Sam Haggerty twice. There we go. Wow, we love to see it. Really the, like to put those two guys in the same conversation. The, the tension that is baseball of a full count. Bottom that was the bottom of the twelfth. Bottom of the twelfth. Uh, bases are loaded. Eugenio's at the plate. It is like, that's the moment right there, right? That one pitch, everything is riding on. He struck out, and the Mariners ended up getting in the end. But it's like, that is, you're talking such wild swings that happen. This was, uh, uh, this was definitely one that, that we'll talk about. You were talking about a game from a decade ago, right? Oh, the game, yes, the Florida game where the Mariners were the road team in that one that we attended in 2011. That's literally, I guess, over a decade ago It is, it is over a decade ago. I was also, when we went to the Mariners game last Friday, my first game since the pandemic started. Yeah, the pandemic is over at the Mariners game. <laughs> there is no COVID. COVID may have never existed at <laughs> T-Mobile Some Park. masks. I mean, look. <laughs> there all... there was, that was legit. I think that it, was the most it, packed game was, that we've seen It was also year. definitely not over for the famous cousin Kenny. <laughs> yeah. Maybe aside from the first game back after the All-Star break, I think that was the most packed game that they've had all year. That, like, I see these Yankees games, and it's not even close. This was close. The entire upper deck is open, though. Like, that game, walking I mean, there was the 48,000 people there. Yeah. It was bonkers being at that game i did not i don't think i really i thought it'd be full i was not expecting just how full it would be me neither like i was like on the fence about whether to you know eat a large lunch and not plan to eat at the game as i eventually did and it was mostly because like eh, ballpark food is just not that good but then it ultimately turned out to be a great idea because it meant i didn't have to wait in line at the ballpark it was, those lines were they were legitimately crazy okay but i do have but i was saying though oh. during that game i was hearkening back to a 19 inning game that the mariners played in the 2000 season that i have a distinct memory was of. It against cleveland uh well we were i think it was it was but before I, manny was on the red Sox. or no it was against boston oh was it with boston I swear Manny was involved in this game. I remember I, I had sort of stopped paying attention to baseball by the time this happened. I still think but, what you're thinking of is the ga- the historic comeback against the Mariners in 2000, I want to say, one. I, I did not watch a single game in 2001. Okay. The, the one thing, any time that I strayed away from baseball for literally two decades, the one thing that I would always be excited about with baseball is really long oh, extra innings exactly. games. There's just something very exciting about the longer the game goes. It was Boston in August August 1st, 2000, a 5-4 win for the Mariners in 19 innings. I didn't look this was up Manny last week. Was Manny on the Red Sox then? No, we, we, he, well, he didn't play. He was not, no. Okay, that was when he was still in Cleveland. Uh, I believe Mike Cameron won this game. Let me see if I can figure I, it. I do remember watching this game at our house, though. But I was coming home from San Diego like driving back with a group and like listening to this game the whole time. And it was still on when I got back at like midnight. Wow. That so the game took the entire drive from San Diego, huh? Not in the, <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's how long it was. Okay. Uh, yes. Mike Cameron had a walk-off home run. I still think you're thinking of the next year. Let's see if we can find that one. The Mariners had a historic lead they lost in Cleveland on Sunday night baseball. I think this was at home, the one that I was thinking of. All right, I'm I pretty I don't sure know what that you're Red Sox game you're talking at. Because right. anyway, 
I, I do through everything. This was a great game. It was very, very exciting. It, playoff atmosphere. Every win being so important in the wild card race. Look, we're scared of my O's. And because <laughs> if there's one other team that I'm cheering for, it's definitely the Orioles. I mean, look, we want the Orioles to make the playoffs, just not at the Mariners' expense. The Mariners have done something deeply wrong. What's that? And that is closer entrance music. There are a couple teams around the league who have elevated the sport of baseball via closer entrance music. And the Mariners have got to figure this out. If they want to be a cutting edge baseball team, if they want to be at the forefront of baseball, this is where things are heading people it's not the shift right it's, it's not advanced statistics it's the music and the fanfare around your closer entering the game and that is one piece that the mariners have to do i don't know if you've seen this clip that's circulating of edwin diaz entering for the yankees he's got his trumpet song which he actually started in seattle as far as i can tell that sounds vaguely familiar so there, there's a, the camera on him following him right you know the mets are good this year I do know a little that. bit of baseball history for I, you. The I Mets saw that they currently have, good. have passed the Yankees now for the second best record so in Major League Baseball. So there's a clip following Edwin Diaz very slowly walking in from the bullpen, right? And and the song that he plays, it's like a Dutch EDM song, and it has these huge trumpets in it. Mister and Mrs. Met are playing the trumpet as he's coming, and everybody is going crazy. But also, in the second greatest city in America, Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> Felix Bautista, Orioles closer. I literally just learned that this person exists earlier today. But they are playing Omar Whistling, the farmer in the Dell. Have you seen this? Do you know about this? this, They are playing the Omar Whistle. There's maybe some socio-political commentary that the Baltimore Orioles do not want to deal with as it pertains to playing an Omar Omar, uh, uh, sample, I guess I'll call it. But we're not going to discuss that. They do I mean, that. it's already been taken. The, like, the Ravens have been known to play it. Do they? It's the most baller shit ever. I don't even care, right? If, if, if you're going gonna, if you're gonna to take, take this important moment from television, from this important character in television, and translate it to a corporate event, which is ba- professional baseball or professional but football. it is a community event, too. There are worse ways to do it, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And so they've got the lights flashing. They've got Omar whistling as Felix Bautista is coming in. Paul Seawald, step your fucking game up, right? There's so many options for you here. I don't, look. I, I don't want to say give me Macklemore, but like, give me something here. If they've already done Macklemore in the bottom of the seventh, maybe, that's already been controversial enough. Maybe we've had enough Macklemore, but give me something here, right? I think Paul Seawald, look, the, the pitching, prepping his arm, you know, the, the midweek stuff that you do as a pitcher, that's great. He should be spending a lot more time thinking about <laughs> entering into the game. Maybe when Diego Castillo is back, like, maybe that'll be a conversation that happens, but that's the next place for the Mariners. They're not going far if they don't figure this out. Out and fast. Wow, that that was your take this week. No, that wasn't my Mariners hot take. Do you have a hot take this week? That's that's for later in the podcast. Oh, okay. I didn't realize this, this, that, that wasn't was part a, of the. That was that was an impromptu. That was an impromptu take, and it's a, it's an important one though. <sighs> so should I save the rest of the Mariners section for for later let's as just, well? Let's just come back to. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do we have anything else on tonight's game? No, it was great. It was phenomenal. <laughs> Your children stayed up long past their bedtime two, two to watch them, all yes. 13 innings. I guess, I guess uh, uh, yeah, so two-thirds of them was uh, 10. Yes. 
It's like two thirds could be could be applied to a larger number and then reduced down. Yes. <laughs> you find the common denominator as of far the as 10 I to understand. 15, yeah. 10, 10 stand up. <laughs> oh, That's could... literally a situation where common denominator is applied not figuratively, literally. They, they really do. Uh, uh, I'm just going to be over here while you do the rest of the podcast watching Felix Batista enter the game. <laughs> okay. Well, you're going to want to toast to this because it's official. Lauren Jackson is coming back. With the Australian Apples for the World Cup. It was announced uh, today that uh, she has made the roster for the World Cup, which Australia will host starting September 22nd. It's LJ's first World Cup since 2010, but the fifth of her career dating back to 1998 when she was age 17 in the World Cup. Age 17 in her first, age 41. I toast that, but my heart is not in that toast for what it's worth. The Storm did not sign Lauren Jackson while she was in town last week. We really didn't talk about that on the pod for some reason, but it was uh, great to have her in town. Do, do you think an offer was on the table? She walked in. There's the the one sheet, right, <laughs> sitting there. I mean, she couldn't stick around for Sunday's game, Superbird's last regular season home game, which we'll talk about she wasn't there. plenty later in the pod. She, she was just there on Wednesday, so it doesn't seem like she could have stuck around for the games this week and or the playoffs. All right. Uh, the Storms, Ezzy Megbegor and Stephanie Talbot, also part of the Australian Ovals national team, as well as UW product Sammy Whitcomb. There we go. We love Sammy. Uh, is Sammy from Australia or just naturalized? Naturalized, married an Australian, and, okay. and lives there now. God, the real dream. <laughs> what? <laughs> to marry an Australian? You or don't to think live you would want to marry an Australian with the opportunity to live in Australia? I'm not disputing that. I'm just not saying that. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say that if I were someone who was currently married yeah. to a non-Australian. You, you wouldn't. <laughs> the, the real thing is, New Zealand would be a little bit better. You think so? And we're fine with all of Oceania, though. Prefer the Aussie accent. To Maori the Islands. <laughs> Is there any other place of Oceania? Uh, we got an email about this, which has become about a tradition. About Oceania, wow. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, a happy b- birthday on Saturday to the listener, Elliot Allen. Hello. We'll be turning 26. Coming up this Saturday. Yeah. There we go. So. There. Yeah. Cheers. Elliot Allen, we got you the most exciting. Is Elliot, Elliot's from Seattle, right? Yeah. We got you the most exciting Mariners win of the season. There you go. Uh, lastly here in this section, a first call for Pan- Pelton Cast Fantasy Football 2022. Wow. I was, I was thinking that you should mention that. The time has come. Email us at peltoncast at gmail.com if you want to participate because we kind of got to get our shit together on this. We're yeah, it's kind of late. A month I, away from the start started, of the season. Uh, did Hard Knocks start really late this year? Yeah, usually I expected, like I went back and looked for it because I expected that there was going to be one last week that I had missed, uh, but but it does not start until today. Today? Yes. I was just like, are they not doing Hard Knocks? Oh, they are doing Hard Knocks. You know who's on, right? The Lions. Dan yeah. Campbell. Dan Campbell. Yeah. I love that we're like, it's a tour to Dan Campbell force. <laughs> It's like Dan Campbell is just like, you knew he was on Hard Knocks. Well, it's also Jared Goff's third time on Hard Knocks. Oh, God. I saw it noted in an article. There were two Rams seasons? Because there was the one that was Rams and Chargers combined during 2020. Oh, the pandemic pandemic. pandemic one. I didn't really watch that one. I didn't like that. Not as memorable as when Jared Goff asked which direction the sun set in or rose in. I didn't really want to be faced with the idea that there was a pandemic happening currently. (laughs) <laughs> okay. It's why I told you I couldn't I couldn't watch the uh the Top Chef though. It's like the post pandemic Top Chef. It's like I, I want to be in a situation like that Mariners game. 
You know, you either are like fully in it or you're fully not in it. I want to be like at that Mariners game where it's just like this never happened or fully acknowledge everything that happened, at least in media. Okay. I've been watching the rehearsal. I almost did a rehearsal based takes. Are you aware of this? I'm aware of it. Okay. I've not watched it. It's a phenomenal show. One of the best shows on TV. We again have no search for Seattle's best barbecue this week. Eventually, you're going to eat some barbecue to go with the two places that I, I went to, to last week. I'm not. I don't think I'm going to Ballard. Sorry. No, just no barbecue from Ballard can be the best, Seattle's best barbecue. That's it. Period. I think what we may do at some point is I'm just going to do some reviews of spots that I went to that I don't know that are, are actually going to be Seattle's best barbecue. So you don't necessarily need to go there. I'll just be the arbiter that they are not Seattle's <laughs> yeah, best that's barbecue. Fine. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Uh, but I don't think I'm prepared to do that today, so we'll save that for a later date. Uh, which brings us back to oh, we're not. When do we talk Seafair? Is that gonna be at the? That's gonna be at the end. Okay, right? fine. Seafair always is at the end. <clears throat> brings us back to your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. I've threatened to do it, and this is a Sounders take. Oh no! I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but the Sounders are. The new Mariners. Oh, no. Think about it. They were dominant for decades, and they never thought decades? it would end. Upstart clubs from their region kept getting better, bringing in high-end talent, while they're overly relying on strategic tactics and haven't been able to develop an attacking player since the days of Caesar. Oh. Oh, no. Actually, when you think about it, the Sounders aren't the new Mariners. They're the new Italian national team. Oh, no. <laughs> that loss to Atlanta United on Saturday may as well have been to North Macedonia. I hate to break it to you. First, it starts slipping, and then all of a sudden, it's gone. So, have fun with your CONCACAF Champions League trophy, Sounders fans. Look, I've been there to claim you're the best team in all of North America. We've said it a few times on the podcast. We had a few laughs about it, but deep down, you know it's not true. Because when the MLS playoffs roll around this year, much like Italy and Qatar, you're going to be watching from home. Wow. I, I don't even know what to do with this. But first off, I wanted to note that uh, the Sounders are lucky because... Unlike with Italy, their championship does qualify them for the Club World Cup. Oh, great. So they yeah, they, they have made it into that one either way. Uh, yeah, I don't think that the Mariners-Sounders comparison would be very good. Uh, I will say, it feels like the Sounders have been... I didn't do it. I didn't do the Mariners-Sounders comparison. I know. It's good you steered away from that. The Sounders have been struggling ever since they played the Timbers, and I forget what the TIFO was that day. It was like the greatest team we've, you've ever seen or what? something like that. Who said that? What is the TIFA? TIFO is the, like the you know, banner, basically, that they unfurl in the supporters section. You, you're acting unfamiliar with this concept. I am. Well, they, they... I'm only familiar with banners for Sam Haggerty. <laughs> Which they're starting to show up. They're starting to pop Are up they? at T-Mobile Park. There was one today. I can't remember exactly what it said, but I think it said something along the lines of marry, marry me, Sam Haggerty. Okay. Yeah, no, the, the Sam Haggerty love is real. Well, as it should be. It certainly is real in this household. Uh, when Sam Haggerty made the defensive play to save Matt Festa's Ooh. inning. Oh, huge yes. moment. Oh, yes. For Italian Mariners fans. 
Or am I supposed to? Giorgio Chiellini's not playing in Seattle. Am I supposed to talk about the Sounders here now or the Mariners? Do you have more about the Mariners to say? I I mean, I was just going to mention Julio's eligibility to return, but not expected to return Wednesday when he was first eligible to come off the injured list. But uh, possibly this weekend when the Mariners start an all AL West road trip in Texas, later visiting the Angels and the A's. Hope is that he uh, uh, will return on Friday. Yep. And in a place where he had fun in Texas last time, right? Before the All-Star break, it was a very, obviously the Mariners swept the series. So it was very fun. But like Julio in particular had a very fun series. And you apparently you, you actually don't watch those games. Uh, but it, it, it was a, it was a, kind of the coming of age series for Julio. There was a bit of a coming out party for him. And be very excited to have him back because... You know, the Mariners still only scored one run in 13 innings. Yeah, they still have top record, <laughs> even with Mitch Hanniger back in the lineup. I mean, you and look at it, uh, but also you kind of take the lineup, you drop in a Julio, and it's looking like a fairly solid lineup, top to bottom. The Mariners have a lot of players who are fringe, like they can pinch hit. You know, like you don't really want to rely on them, but you kind of look at it and you're like, there's Santana, there's Kyle Lewis. Uh, there's Dylan Moore who's coming back. They have a lot of players who are very confidently MLB players. Taylor Trammell is rehabbing right now. I mean, they're going to have a roster crunch at some point here. It's like and a ro- just Hagerty better not end up on the wrong side I, of that. I one. do not think Hagerty's any. Hagerty is like he is entrenched as the like fourth outfielder at worst. He's a better player than Jesse Winker is right now. Maybe, I mean, the thing is they made a longer-term investment in Winker, but, like, Hagerty is a more important player on the field. Jared Kelenic, on the other hand. <laughs> yeah, don't think uh, don't think Jared Kelenic's going to be long for the major leagues in this stead. He was 2 of 21 since oh, being God. recalled. Hey, there was tonight. that one homer off Garrett Cole. We'll always have that. We right? always will. What about breakfast at Tiffany's? What about that Jared Kelenic homer on off Garrett uh, Cole? 2 for 24 because he went 0 for 3 tonight before being pinch hit 4 so that they could put the pitcher in the lineup, <laughs> lose the DH. <laughs> Which really did not seem like it was going to matter that the... Game was going to go that many extra innings, but lo and behold, that's what brought out Luis Torrens as the pitch hitter and saved the game. I said, I think I remember the at bat. <laughs> okay, Sounders front. Uh, as you mentioned, a 2 1 loss on Saturday at Atlanta United. Pretty brutal in terms of just how it went down. They fought back from a goal given up in the 23rd minute to tie things through Christian Roldan in the 68th minute. Game still even into second half stoppage time when Andrew Gutman scored from outside the box to win it late. I was listening to this one on the radio because I was driving around, and that was a, a pretty shocking outcome. Sounders had the better of play, according to uh, the Is soccer parent. Yes. Okay, good. Thank God. Who is it? Uh, Keith Costigan. All right. Uh, as long as they're British, I don't care. Uh, Sounders <clears throat> had the better of play, according to the Soccer Power Index expected goals model. Uh, on the bright side, did see Raul Reed. He has played the final 40 minutes of this match off the bench, his longest appearance since that Portland game and his re-injury. Uh, with that loss, the Sounders slipped out of the playoff spots to eighth in the Western Conference, but they are still narrowly sixth in points per match. One point back of both Nashville and Portland with a game in hand on both of those teams. And they have a chance to pass fifth place Real Salt Lake with a win this weekend at home. Real Salt Lake two points up in the standings entering this one. So I don't think all is lost. It's not that all is lost, but they're competing with Nashville right now. I mean, I've been to Nashville. Nobody there knows there's a soccer team. <laughs> I feel like they must have, have pretty good attendance. 
Do they? Because literally nobody knows. I've pulled every person in Nashville and not a single person. Wow. There was, I, they're Nashville SC, is that right? Yes. I literally not once in my two times in Nashville in the last like three months have I seen a piece of memorabilia for Nashville SC. I don't know where the stadium is. You drive right by the Titans stadium and you see Titans gear everywhere. These fuckers do not care about soccer. I don't know if that's the fair comparison here necessarily. Is that's not the, to the Titans? Yeah. Well, sure. Obviously, like the Titans are a big dream. I'm just saying, I mm. literally have not seen anything. You walk around Seattle, you see Sounders gear. Yes. No matter what, and that is not the case in Nashville. Do you see a lot of LAFC gear when you're in LA? More than you drive by the LAFC stadium when you're driving in from the airport to LA. This seems it feels like a lot of geography. <laughs> you do though. I mean, I'm not disputing that. Yes, I'm aware that the, the if you're coming from LAX, <laughs> like yes. a lot of geography. <laughs> <laughs> if you're coming from LAX, you, you do drive right by and you're like drive there past is, Bank LAFC. of California Stadium. Yeah, I haven't been to LAX in a long period of time. I've been to LA in a long oh, period of time, but Mr. Burbank over here. Um, right. <laughs> look we all want to fly in a Burbank sometimes the, the circumstances don't allow it I'm just saying I have never once you you could have asked me before you started this podcast does Nashville have a soccer team and I'd be like what the fuck are you talking about semi-pro you like, should have just assumed Nashville has a soccer team that had a lot of expansion to Nashville sized cities if, <laughs> so not accurate no the Nashville sized cities how yeah. dare you Nashville's great I'm just not saying anything negative about Nashville. No, they have a soccer team. Nobody's told them yet. Did you see any Preds gear when you were there? Oh, Preds are everywhere. Okay, it's hard to it is hard to miss that arena. I it is I right downtown. Literally, I'm like going to Smashville. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's places that I reference, and I'm like, why do I call it that? <laughs> I texted the other day, Slam Diego, because I was uh, potentially going to book a trip to Slam Diego in October. Oh, there you go. And I was like, why am I calling it Slam Diego? Gotta get those playoff tickets. It's in October, yeah, that I'm going. Uh, but I was like, oh, I guess that was the thing that was invented relatively recently. Like Thanks. 2020 yeah. or whatever. They didn't know beforehand they had a baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> what an exciting discovery for the citizens of but San, San no, Diego. Uh, they're, they're like, the Preds are a big team in Asheville. They went to the Stanley Cup fairly I'm recently. Aware. Okay. I'm just saying I don't remember specifically seeing Preds gear when I was there. Maybe I did. It's, I it's even also, like, I was I was like around a bunch of tourists the whole time. You walk along in the city and you see like the logo. I saw a lot of on, Chiefs gear since they were in town that week. Billboards and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, OL Rain. Well, next time I go, I'll look around, see if I can see any sign of Nashville SC. Make it a challenge. I really, I truly will. If you remind me of this, I truly will think about it. I'm trying to beat a Nashville as much as I can. Will Rain also suffered a 2-1 loss this weekend. That was at home against the Houston Dash. Megan Rapinoe, who came over from the Storm game where she was for the first half that tipped off at noon, made it to the Rain game that started at 3 and finished off a uh, Kim Little cross in the 16th minute for her first goal of the season in just her third start to give the Rain an early lead. But Houston's Ebony Salmon, who has been on a tear lately, scored twice in a three-minute span, the first of those from the spot, to put the Dash ahead for good in a frustrating first loss at Lumen Field for O.L. Rain, who again struggled to finish despite outshooting Houston 10-7 with a 6-3 advantage in shots on goal. Sunday Little's last match for the Rain is part of her loan from Arsenal this summer. 
The loss dropped the range to sixth in the NWSL standings behind three teams who all have played one fewer match, including Houston. So really important for them to get full points this weekend, hosting Gotham FC, which is now part owned by Sue Byrne. Sue Byrne owns a team that plays against her fiance's team in the NWSL. Very complicated, rooted, uh, cheering interests in this one for Sue. Uh, uh, Gotham FC comes in 11th in the standings with a league worst minus 15 goal differential. I feel like there's like a Jay Z line about Super owning the team. L- 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 you think it's Gotham along the lines FC of, could go 0 for 82 and yeah. look at you like that shit, shit's gravy? Uh, they don't play 82 in the NWSL, so we're going to have to make some tweaks to that line. When did Gotham, that's the team in New York? Yes. Really, just a phenomenal name. Oh, yeah. Gotham FC. Yeah. Without question. Uh, Seattle Storm, as we mentioned, a sellout crowd on hand Sunday, the largest in franchise history, the largest ever for a sporting event wow. at Climate Pledge Arena to honor Subert's final How is that regular season home game. Well, How are there more people than a Kraken match? Because in hockey, you don't have courtside tickets. The oh, rink is much larger than a basketball court. What I wasn't sure about is why it was larger than the Gonzaga crowd, which was a sellout, but... Somehow they fit more seats in there for yeah. the storm. So, uh, but that game Chet takes up a lot of space. <laughs> that game saw Las Vegas play spoiler with a victory. After a slow start, Brianna Stewart scored a season high 35 points and grabbed 10 boards to outperform her top MVP rival, Asia Wilson, who had 29 and 24 shot attempts. But Tina Charles was the lone other storm player to score double figures, while four Las Vegas players had at least 15 points. And Chelsea Gray made some big shots late as the Aces pulled away. It still couldn't ruin the party. I mean, Subaru still took the microphone post-game. Honestly, I felt like it didn't matter. I was watching post-game, like, I was sort of half in and out watching, and I truly did not know who won after the game. Well, like, Sue did joke about it during her post-game speech. I, I, I read about that, that she was like, we lost our fir- I lost my first game here also. Yes. Um, Which they showed the highlights of that one, and I got to say, I had forgotten how many empty seats there were at Subaru's debut. But it just, it was literally like the... It was a party for Subert. It was so much bigger than one game. Yes. Even a game that was important in terms of playoff positioning. There, there is still a good chance that Subert will play another basketball game in Seattle that'll be more meaningful, though. Yes? We'll talk about that in a second. Okay. Yes. Uh, so she addressed the crowd. Uh, they had was kind of surprised pregame when they had her friends and family, including Rapino, line the hallway that takes the players out from the locker room to the court, and uh, you know was greeted by all of them. I mean, it was really just an incredible day. Like I got there, this, this was a noon tip off. I parked at about nine thirty uh, to to be there early, right when the doors opened to media. And there was already, you know, storm fans everywhere lined to get in the arena at that point an hour before the the doors opened to the general public. And it was just an incredible atmosphere. It was really like a, like a finals game is the only thing I could compare it to in terms of that's the only time that we've had full sellouts in storm history it was back in the 2004 finals when they won their first championship, the first for Seattle in 25 they, years. They didn't after that. No, even the times that they made the finals. It's the only time then. I've ever been to a finals game. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I thought it was pretty impressive. I Actually, I thought it was very impressive how much Seattle has rallied around Sue Bird and what she's contributed to the city and to basketball in the city in these last 20 years. Uh, 
like I, I honestly was a little bit surprised at the atmosphere, you know, and, and when you told me that it was a full sellout, the entire the entire arena and then the entire lower bowl for the previous game. It was like this is a this is a big deal. Subert is when you look at the time span over that, obviously like the magnitude of Russell Wilson is very, very huge, right? But like I think Sue outside of Russell Wilson and the impact that she had on the city is probably the most important athlete in the city of Seattle in the last 20 years, which I can't imagine another city. Maybe Diana Taurasi is the only one that I can think of right. who would have even similar magnitude. I, I have no idea what, what the on the ground feeling is in Phoenix, but I can't imagine a WNBA player having that kind of impact on the community that Sue has had in Seattle. Yeah. And I mean, I think that, you know, like I said, there was a lot of empty seats at that first game. So even though Seattle has been a great town there, in terms of supporting... For, for the record, there are a lot of empty seats still at other games. Sure. But it was like the first game of the season, the first game that she yeah. played as a number one pick. You would have expected that one to actually be a much bigger deal. Uh, and, you know, Seattle has been historically, you know, a place that has supported women's sports. But, you know, Sue's presence and the amount the Storm has won. And, and let's include Lauren Jackson, who was a huge part of that as well. And Brianna Stewart. Brianna Stewart now and, you know, a variety of other players and coaches who have come through here. But Sue's the constant. And that was the other thing about it was, you know, I might have mentioned this last week. It really was kind of a celebration of Storm history in a way because Sue touched yeah. every element, every period of Storm history. So you had, you know, players who How many came years? back. They were like a team for five years before Sue, right? No, two. To only two years. Yeah, wow. it was the third year of existence. Uh, so you had—that's it. That's the entire fucking. Who was this? St- Lindsay Starbird? No, Kate Starbird. Kate Starbird was not with the Storm. She was with the Rain. Oh, okay. She she did play for the Storm, but during Sue's rookie season, they mm-hmm. traded for her. Uh, so you had play, they brought they did a great job of bringing players back and coaches and had them from you know all the championships teams. So there was, you know players from 2004 who haven't played didn't play here after that have not played here in 18 years and then there were players who played here within the last couple of years on the 2018 championship betty lennox was there betty lennox and her brother were both there in full effect it was great so it was a really fun like reunion and i saw i ran into you know a handful of former co-workers at the games last week so it was a moment for all of us must have been lost in the mail thought maybe they wanted former Storm staff back, but okay. I mean, I didn't actually get a separate invite as a, as a <laughs> former employee. But I, was, I lasted longer than six weeks. <laughs> I was six weeks? No, I was there for longer than that. Ken, how long do you think you were there? I definitely, I think, was fired before the Jay-Z show on the 4th of, 4th of July in Vegas. Okay. So, I don't know when I started, probably April. I know you helped me with some draft stuff. So. What is the draft? That would, that's in April. So I, that, I think that I made times it, it to at least from that. April to I remember booking the tickets, the flight, and buying the tickets for Jay Z on the third of July in Vegas, while I was at the Storm offices. That was one. I think I was assigned that responsibility. Oh, okay. Um, so whatever that time period was, draft stuff through uh, late June. Uh, and then Sue was also like typically awesome in her post game media comments. Uh, you know. 
it was it was interesting. One of the things, so everybody now gets asked, like, you know, what do you what do you remember the most, or you know, take away from your relationship with Sue? I thought it was funny. Both Becky Hammond, who had sp- said she spent some time with Sue in Russia when they both played over there during their careers, and uh, Pokey Chapman, who also coached Sue in Russia and was acting head coach because Noel Quinn missed these last two games in health and safety protocols, and a real bummer that Noel missed this game on Sunday because she's someone who played oh. with Sue. And then later, assistant coach and now head coach, with her as this as you know an interesting relationship from that standpoint. And sadly, couldn't be there uh, because of the health and safety protocols. But they both mentioned Sue's sense of humor, and I thought that was interesting. But uh, uh, Sue joked out. One of the things she joked after the game was that with all the parties that were scheduled for Sunday night with everybody in town, uh, that she was worried about what Tuesday was going to look like because her recovery isn't what it used to be at age 41. And lo and behold, there was no hangover effect for the Storm as they faced the WNBA-leading Chicago Sky on Tuesday, put together their best performance of the season, scored 38 points in the first quarter, 66 in the first half, and tied the franchise record with 111 points, setting a new WNBA record with 37 assists. Bird had eight of those. Gabby Williams had seven along with 20 points, the best all-around performance of her WNBA career. Stewart had 25 points and five assists. Jewel Lloyd scored 18 in her hometown. And this was a huge victory because that win reduced the Storm's magic number to one to secure home court advantage in the first round and assure Bird at least two more games in Seattle. Uh, Storm got a big break on Sunday after that loss to the Aces when the L.A. Sparks upset the Washington Mystics in D.C. Uh, just about simultaneous. So now, because of that, the Storm can clinch fourth and a home court advantage with a win Friday at Minnesota in what will be Sylvia Fowles' final regular season home game of her also Hall of Fame career. Uh, Lynx will have plenty of stake at, at stake in that one as they try to make the playoffs. Uh, they just got their star, Nafisa Collier, back for her 2022 debut on Sunday, playing 21 minutes after giving birth in late May. If the Storm lose on Friday, they'll likely have to win Sunday in a rematch at Las Vegas to earn home court because Washington finishes the season with a home-and-home against the lowly Indiana Fever, who have lost 16 consecutive games, which is almost half the season. So... It's looking more likely than not now, I would say, that the Storm are going to finish fourth and uh, start the playoffs at home, but uh, still certainly some work to do, and, and neither of these games are going to be easy. I, I just want to mention also, though, when having these conversations about Sue and the positivity around the WNBA, also thinking of Brittany Kreiner, who, as the State Department has acknowledged, is wrongfully detained in Russia, wrongfully sentenced in Russia. And wrongfully convicted now, yes. And, and, and hope that that same state department is able to do whatever they can to bring her back home because it is, it's a dark cloud hanging over the WNBA season right now without question uh, and want to make sure that Brittany is able to get back home safely and soon, as soon as possible. Um, who definitely feels like a, a basically a political prisoner at this point in Russia. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. <sighs> All right, let's move on to UW football, which is now about a week into practice. As advertised, all three quarterbacks have been rotating snaps with the three different units. Still sounds like Michael Penix Jr. is the most likely starter, but we're probably not going to know until the season opener. We're not going to know until the opener, and we're not going to know until UW plays Michigan State on September 17th. Because 
I mean, I don't know that they're going to... Well, I guess they might rotate multiple They are going to rotate. I mean, the, they are playing Kent State and then Portland State in the first two games, correct? Yes. They are, all three of these quarterbacks will play in those two games, right? They're not saving anybody to redshirt at this point. Like, Well, and also, I mean, it's only two games, so it wouldn't be an issue if you did. I mean, I suppose the other reality is if, say, one of, Michael Penix Jr. being the most likely quarterback, if he were to play... Every single snap of those first two games, we know who the starter is. But like, I think, or at least to play, you know, ideally, uh, you play the first couple, you know, three quarters, and then give yeah. way to. I think there's some a good chance the that I, I think the most likely expectation is that Michael Penix, and the reality is, he's the most experienced starter, and he's the most experienced starter under Kalen DeBoer. So I think you should obviously go into the season assuming that Michael Penix is the starter as somebody who Kalen DeBoer has a past relationship with. And and Ryan Grubbs. Was Ryan Grubbs at Indiana also or just Kalen DeBoer? Just Kalen DeBoer. I believe Grubbs, Grubbs picked up at Fresno State. I think so. Okay. But, but you've of, also got his offensive coordinator at Indiana. Uh, or I'm uh, sorry, the subsequent offensive coordinator at Indiana is now the wide, re- not the wide receivers coach. Cause that's Shepard. He's somewhere on the staff. It's well. really a bad sign. <laughs> if he's not playing offense coordinator, things didn't go great after Kalen DeBoer left. Oh no, they didn't. No, he's not, he's not the offensive coordinator. <laughs> he know. is also on the staff. <laughs> uh, but you would assume that Michael Penix is a starter. I think the reality is we will not know until September 17th, just confidently who the starter is though. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, on the conference realignment front. Oh, yeah. Your favorite. As first reported by the Sports Business Journal last week, the Big Ten is nearing new TV deals with Fox broadcasting their A window at 9 a.m. Pacific, CBS broadcasting likely a game at 12.30 p.m., and NBC broadcasting a game in East Coast primetime with uh, ESPN and ABC out of the mix for the Big Ten. Uh, per Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic, sources expect those deals will either include Trier's line renegotiation in case of further Big Ten expansion or automatic payout increases in case that happens. And uh, Scott Docterman of The Athletic in that same article reported via an industry source that there are no plans for 7 p.m. Pacific kickoffs at this point because of the late starts for visiting teams from the Central or Eastern time zones at UCLA and USC which could offer incentive to add more teams from the Pacific design time zone who could play in those spots long-term for the Big Ten. And, and when I think that's that's probably the most significant piece of information here. I, I definitely think that the Big Ten would love to own every single time slot there is outside of Hawaii. You know, like, if you want to be the conference, if they want to be, if they want to best the SEC, right? No other conference matters, obviously. But if they want to best the SEC, the SEC doesn't really have an avenue to have games in that time slot. The SEC can say that they don't give a shit about that time slot. That's fine. Say we want to dominate every other one. But the reality is being able to program from 9 a.m. Eastern to 10.30 p.m. Eastern as a conference is something that is it is the most unique thing that we would have ever seen from any college football conference ever. And I think I think your your time zone is wrong. I think the specific they'd be going from 9 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. But yes. Yes, from that would be a historic outcome. Wait, nine nine a.m. Pacific to seven thirty p.m. Pacific. Well, the game starts at seven thirty p.m. Pacific. It would it would continue well after that. So you're talking yes. thirteen and thirteen and a half hours of football from one conference potentially, which is not even something the NFL has ever pulled off. 
No, and I think they would. Like, there's probably some diminishing returns of it, but like the NFLs, they've they've floated the idea, right? We've seen the two Monday Night Football games. If if the two Monday Night Football games that they did in Week One, and there's one that starts awfully late Pacific, if that got the kind of ratings they wanted, we would have two Monday Night Football games, like. <clears throat> Which now is not even the case in week one. I, I think that I think the, the other important point is that this agreement, it's not an ironclad agreement that closes off teams. And either being able to renegotiate, if they can go back to these partners and say, these schools are adding X value, we need X more on this. And that time slot is a pretty significant value. You know, we talked about... This. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing because like there's diminishing returns to the number of teams you have if you only have the same number of times. Exactly, yes. I, I don't think they'll be adding fucking Oklahoma State. You know what I mean? Like, a team that is playing in the same time zone as the Big Ten time zone is not going to happen. Well, one team. Yes. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. There is one team that matters, but beyond that... You've got to be more of a marquee team than the, you know, larger, the group of teams, that a pool of teams that are already playing in those games. It's actually, wait, you saying that is an interesting thought, because I've seen people be like, oh, well... The Big Ten would rather have so and so ACC team, but that doesn't fill any need, right? Well, the, it would only be to keep them from the SEC. Would be the only argument for that, I guess. I, I mean, I don't think they would be mad about having Miami, Florida, Clemson, Virginia Tech, Virginia, somebody like that. But like, the reality is, it's just competitive programming with themselves, and I think that's how the TV networks would view it, right? Maybe you have more opportunities at a marquee game, but like, there's there's kind of just like filling the time slots is what's important to these networks, right? Yeah. With important TV. And we've all been there. We've all watched Pac-12 after dark, you know? Like, there's a reality that the Pac-12 after dark time slot is a more important time slot than the 5 p.m. time slot in a lot of ways. Like, there, there's something about it being the marquee time slot. And I think, I think given these conversations, seeing what's happening, seeing the... Uh, was it Nicole Auerbach? Yep. Her story saying, could the Big Ten be looking west? I think there's more to that than... She, she's not speculating here. You know, understanding... I've seen people talk about how connected she is. The reality is there's going to be more West Coast teams that join the Big Ten. I mean, the one thing is she... Like, she's not reporting any specifics in terms of... It's not about that. Nobody's going to report specifics, but people know what's going on. And we've heard a lot of silence from... Notre Dame, Stanford, UW, Oregon. You know, there's been a real lack of commitment from those programs. And I, I think what we're going to see, and this is, this, I still believe this is a good thing for UW. You know, there's some bad things to it. I think losing the Pac-12 or losing whatever it is, whatever the, you want to call it, the Pacific Coast Conference, you know, and that relationship with Wazoo in particular, I think is a bad thing. But the reality is like... Well, this hasn't happened yet. By the way, if, if it were, I'm saying this is a thing we should want to have happen. I think it's the, the less big, bad than a lot of other scenarios. The Big Ten and looking at the TV deal, the kind of money that's coming in, knowing that conferences are just TV rights, right? We've talked about this a million times, that they are TV rights organizations. You want to be in the best TV rights organization, and that's the Big Ten. It's not the SEC. There was, there was some chatter about ESPN not being involved in the Big Ten deal. And what that would mean for the Pac-12 or Pac-10, whatever you want to call it. And there was some hope that was offered because of that. But I just, I don't really understand 
why that would be the case. Because if you're the quote-unquote valuable schools in the remaining Pac-10, i.e., I guess I'll say Stanford, like I'm still a little bit skeptical about the value of Stanford's TV rights because of the fan base, but we know that Oregon, UW, and Stanford are the most valuable programs TV-wise left in the Pac-10. And Stanford also, from the Big Ten specific standpoint, brings the cachet of their rivalry with USC and their yes, rivalry with but I'm, I'm talking specifically to ESPN wanting to invest in the remaining Pac-10. ESPN that's not, much more about UW and Oregon than yes. Yeah. Is ESPN going to because they're not involved with the Big Ten? Are they then going to fork up the money that makes these teams whole to the money of the Big Ten? And I don't buy that at all that that's going to be the case i don't think whole no or even close to it and so like if you're espn you're looking at this and you're like it is only a matter of time espn also is very smart they know what's going on behind the scenes with these programs right and the reality is they might have bowed out because they were like we do not we can't we're not going to pay this number we are focused on the sec that not paying that number had nothing to do with the pac-12 right it was about they didn't want to pay the number that the Big Ten wanted them to pay because it could have just gone on forever, and they are getting a steal with the SEC rights. I don't think that they say, well, we now have this $350 million that we're not spending on the Big Ten, and we can turn around and spend that on Cal versus Arizona. Right? I, mean, I don't think they're going to spend the whole thing. No, I, I don't agree with that. But I, I do think it's easier for them to... It, it makes the Pac-12 more desirable for them if they don't have as much inventory outside of the SEC. And that same thing that we just talked about with the 7 p.m. starts, Pacific starts, that applies to the Pac-12 in its whatever current form. It's still, it's, I think it's too much money to pay. The arms race that's happening right now is in the SEC versus the Big Ten, and ESPN is aligned with the SEC. Right, but the pa- SEC is not going to play in that spot. So SEC plus Pac-12 could be a better combo for them than SEC plus Big 12 or SEC plus ACC. It still is. It, it, they're not willing to pay the money to keep the teams there. Like, if ESPN was willing to pay the money that UW and Oregon, Stanford, whomever, would make as much money in the Pac-10 as they would plus fucking San Diego State and whomever. If they would make as much money as they would make by being in the Big Ten, I still think long-term that would be the wrong decision. But then maybe they would consider it. I just cannot conceive a way that that's going to happen. And I think the reality is they know that these schools will always be... Like, that 7.30 p.m. slot is part of the arms race. And I think they know that Big Ten, the Big Ten has the inside shot at that right now. And that Fox has the inside shot at right now. They don't want a small piece of the pie. They want the whole pie. Yeah, and certainly the big the Pac-12 becomes a lot less di- desirable without USC and UCLA I, in the mix. A lot of people saw it as a good thing for the Pac- Pac-10, whatever you want to call it. I did not see ESPN bowing out of these negotiations as a positive for the Pac-10. I guess we'll see. <sighs> but I, I'm still... I my, my base perspective is that within the next, who knows how long, two years, that UW will be in the Big Ten. I, I I don't know if I think it's the most likely outcome, but I definitely think it's more likely than I thought it was a few weeks ago. I mean, I personally think it's done behind the scenes, but I definitely do not think that. I, I think it is. I think there are indications being made behind the scenes that is something that they want. And I think the idea that the Big Ten, the Big Ten is the, it is, there's no way for the SEC to compete 
with the Big Ten if the Big Ten can program that entire day with quality football. I, I would agree that there's no way for them to compete. They can compete in the individual time slots and then give up other ones completely. But if you're like... You only give you up one of the four and it's the least valuable by far because an entire... The, are, the more populous half of the country... Are they competing at the 5 p.m. time slot? I guess that's one of the most important SEC games. Yeah. That's like the ESPN SEC game. Yeah. That's where Alabama plays. I guess so. They play at 5 that often? Yes. Are they in Central Time or Eastern? I believe they are in Central Time, but do not quote me on that. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's a lot of places to compete, though. And and it's a lot of... I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they are bringing on Texas and Oklahoma. It would give the Big Ten one thing that the SEC didn't have. Yes. I think that's a good, better way to put it. Because they're they're both able to play at every other nine, twelve, five, seven, and then seven thirty is the one place that they're not. And we've gotten no indication that the that the SEC is interested in realigning to the West Coast. Yes. So I personally don't understand why they haven't. Maybe it's just lack of interest from the West Coast teams. As I told you earlier, offline. I think it's hard to have your slogan be "It just matters more" and have Stanford. It just means more here. In your, uh, they they are central central time zone. Yeah, no, it's not a terrible start time. Uh, let's talk about the Seahawks, who played a mock game Saturday at Lumen Field, and Drew Locke was the star, going eighteen of twenty-seven for one hundred eighty-five yards and a touchdown. Geno Smith went ten of nineteen for ninety-four yards. This despite the fact that Locke had the higher degree of difficulty largely quarterbacking the second unit offense against the first team defense, while Smith primarily had the reverse situation going against the second team defense with the first team offense. Still, Pete Carroll said Tuesday that Geno Smith will start Saturday's preseason opener at Pittsburgh. Uh, did also say he wanted to get Locke more time with the first team wide receivers after he worked almost exclusively with the second unit to start training camp. How are we feeling about the, the QB competition? I, Can we call it a competition? I, it's really, it's just like, I go into this and I'm like, I just don't even care. How could I be mad at Pete Carroll after he fucking traded Russell Wilson? And somehow he found a way. Oh, no. Right? Like, the reality is, we know, we talked about this offline, like, we know what you're getting with Geno Smith. Are you making the playoffs with Geno Smith? No fucking way. Right, the amount of things that would have to go right for this roster, this Seahawks roster, to make the playoffs with Geno Smith as their quarterback is all of them. No, I think you can make the case, and I heard this theory floated at the Storm game in the media room on Sunday. I'm so fascinated with this. Oh God, that the idea is you want Drew Locke to win the job in camp. Like it's good for Geno exactly. to have it's, been ahead. It's Matt Flynn's job until he loses it. I mean, I don't think it's exactly that situation. Drew Luck is not coming out here and tearing things up like Russell Wilson did oh, in the 2012 got 18, preseason. 187 yards of the touchdown. It, that was good. Uh, the reports from practice have been less glowing about both quarterbacks' yeah. performance. You you would think that maybe the Seahawks have two of the most amazing rookie quarterbacks of all time, oh, or no. maybe the quarterbacks aren't that oh. good. It's always tough to say I until just, you I play love, some other teams. Love the idea. I don't. Maybe they don't play Aaron Rodgers this year, but the the idea that it's just Russell Wilson in week one like let's fucking see Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen against Russell Wilson I don't I mean we'll see what the health situation is Jones or Artie Burns against Russell Um, Wilson just 
one, two, three, four. It is, it is bleak. That system had better be a lot better than it's been the last few years for these cornerbacks to do well. Uh, I mean, I, I am encouraged long term by the reports that we're hearing about uh, Woolen in particular. I mean, I don't it's, think it's surprising that Kobe Bryant would come in pretty polished and capable of competing for you know maybe even a starting position there. But Tariq Woolen, like the whole idea was. This is somebody who has the tools. He's like a long-term project. And if he's this competitive right away, like that is a, a pretty exciting thing to me, I think. I mean, Richard Sherman didn't, he didn't start until the tail end of his rookie season, did he? So like, that's a lot to ask of a rookie. Oh, shit. I, I, oh, look, there's Kobe Bryant being drafted. I'm just being real with you. The chances that the Seahawks drafted Richard Sherman and Richard Sherman in the draft... <laughs> Are probably pretty that, slim. I don't think the Kobe Bryant cops to Richard Sherman. I think the chances that the Seahawks drafted Richard Sherman in this draft are I, also pretty slim. I, and, I and agree that they're slim. The other team didn't notice until Kobe Bryant was drafted in the fourth round. Was Tariq Woolen earlier? No, I think he was later. Even later. <laughs> I mean, so, but that was the thing. It's like all the descriptions made it sound like you looked at T- Tariq Woolen on paper. And you're like, oh my god, this guy must be the most amazing quarterback of all time. He's this big and he runs this fast. If only, no, I, I'm actually very excited about Trey Quillen, but it's more just like it is really hard in camp when you have quarterbacks like Geno Smith and Drew Locke as your quarterbacks to really judge it. Like there was a report where it's like DK Metcalf is open everywhere, and it's like, yeah, dude, of course he's open everywhere. Well, the report was it's notable that he's open everywhere because he wasn't getting open everywhere last week. He's open everywhere, and Geno Smith and Drew Locke can't hit him. It's just like, literally, do you want the bad from the quarterback, or do you want the bad from the secondary? We know DK Metcalf is good. There's no question about that. But being a good wide receiver doesn't matter that much when Drew Locke and and Geno Smith are your fucking quarterback. This reminds me, I need to write down our bet somewhere on DK Metcalf's season. What? What's our bet? I forgot. Whether he would have the equivalent yardage for 1,000 yards per over a 17-game season gonna, per however many games he plays. I'm, I'm not going to relish this as every ball is underthrown. Oh, no. Or overthrown or wildly thrown left to right or intercepted or whatever, not caught by DK Metcalf. But I'm, I'm, it's going to be in the back of my head. It's like fantasy football where you're like, I'm not <laughs> cheering against the Seahawks, but that's what's going to happen. If they are going to give up a touchdown... <laughs> yeah. Let's give up the touchdown yeah. to that guy. If they are going to throw three interceptions in a game. If they are going to complete a pass, let's complete the pass to Tyler Lockett. The over-under of weeks before DK Metcalf has blows up on the sideline of the quarterback is like week, it's four and a half. Is it this quarterback or that he's going to blow up at or Pete Carroll? He'll blow up at the quarterback. Ah, it's not the quarterback's blows fault. Blows up at somebody. It, they didn't. They now, didn't. They didn't I don't start think he's themselves. Blow up at Pete Carroll because the quarterbacks are bad. I think I'll blame the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Four and a half. You give me an over and under. Over under. Blows up at somebody on the sideline. I mean, I will take the over on that. You're taking the over. I mean, define blow up. We'll know. We'll know what it means. Oh. We'll know when we see it. It's the Justice Potter Stewart test. Uh this does feel like it should be for by modern preseason game standards. A lot of starters out there for the Seahawks and the Steelers because both of these teams don't know who their quarterbacks are. Yeah, it's Trubisky versus Pickett for the Steelers. Yeah, with do we know Rudolph apparently in third. Trubisky it sounds like is going to start. Okay, so he he appears to have the edge for the moment. 
it's not quite Trubisky is more of a Drew Locke type. Yes. Than than a Geno Smith type. But it's it's sort of complicated because their their younger quarterback or their older quarterback is also still young. Right. In in much more unproven. Yes. So so it's gonna be interesting to see the Seahawks play a it's football Saturday. game. Yeah. I'm gonna be at Day and Day Out Festival. I won't see any of it. Yeah. What time is it? What time is that game? That is a a great question. I'm gonna be messed up in the turnstile. Four p.m. I could care less. It's actually I think that's way before turnstile plays. But <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Catch me at JPEG Mafia. Catch me not giving a fuck about the Seahawks preseason game. I'll uh, read about it on Twitter after. Do we want to talk about Roquan Smith? I do not think that it's not happening. He was the number one player listed in the ESPN, or the, the Seahawks were the number one team listed in the Roquan Smith pace on ESPN. For real? They were. Yeah. They were listed like the Mariners were the number one team listed in Jason Stark's like teams for Juan Soto. Uh, were they number one for that? That's what I read, yes. Okay. Some, wow. Sometimes he's just not that into you. Like, if Roquan Smith wants to be traded by the Bears, is it a contract-related issue so he's going into the fifth option season of his rookie contract as a the number eight pick in 2018 and uh, the statement he gave to nfl network on tuesday indicated that he did not feel he was requesting a trade because he did not feel the bears were negotiating an extension in good faith with him so uh obviously played last season under sean desai who is now with the seahawks oh, so there is that connection i refuse to accept that this could be a thing in fact, I'm, I'm actually, I talked last week about how I have no faith in Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Uh, this is the one moment that I'm going to say that I have some faith in Pete Carroll and John Schneider, that they understand where they're at in an or, as an organization, and they know that they are not one Roquan Smith away from competing. They are not. They are about as many Roquan Smiths away from competing as the Bears are, and I think that they're <laughs> aware of that. Oh, no. Who's the Bears quarterback this year? Oh, I guess Justin Fields. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Fantasy football. Peltoncast at gmail.com. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Get in early. <laughs> Compete against the self self-proclaimed fantasy genius. Like, I read Danny Kelly's article. Probably nobody else did who would be playing in the Peltoncast fantasy league. Yeah, why would any of them <laughs> read Danny Kelly's face on fantasy? Football? Who else would draft Sky more? That's all me. Uh, <laughs> I'll probably get him as a steal. It's just, <laughs> just so many fantasy football retweets in my timeline. Oh my god! Yeah, because of Danny. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> every. It's single, all I know about what's going on in training camp. Every yeah. single person playing in the Pelton Cavs fantasy football league follows Danny Kelly, <laughs> and is aware of the exact same players. <sighs> Elijah Moore. Yeah. Pretty hyped on him. Just all the Moors. <laughs> uh, what's the dude's name? Uh, uh, Roger. Dubs for the pack. oh D O U B S yeah yeah I don't know I don't know I made him his first name something Dubs for the Packers I learned of him today from Danny Kelly's piece <laughs> pretty hyped on him <laughs> lifelong <laughs> fan uh, but that is Romeo Romeo Dubs hey I was not that far off still not sure that Dubs is how D O U B S is pronounced that's like, it seems that's like Dubs like to me no no there's like a thing that specifies that clarifies how it's pronounced. Oh, you mean a pronunciation gun? Yeah, by Danny. Oh, they're okay. Yeah, it is pronounced dubs. In the piece. God damn it. I fucking went out of my way to scroll through that story. All right, I I missed it. Yeah, that's third Pelton brother, Danny Kelly. Do you think? It is. Anyway, uh, Roquan Smith is not getting traded to the Seahawks. 
Should we talk about Seafair? I just, I'm still really, I, I never thought that I would rally around Drew Locke as much. <laughs> but like, I feel like Drew Locke is, Pete was just like, we're going to, this, this mock game is really going to matter a lot. He said that. He did. <clears throat> and then the mock game doesn't seem to have mattered at all. I don't know That's, if I would say it hasn't mattered at all because he's definitely like getting more opportunities with the first team than he was before. But I, if, if we're going to be bad, I, I, I agree. I, I'm not that excited. I, I don't think the problem is I truly think Pete Carroll thinks he can make the playoffs. Of course. With Geno Smith. And then his closest philosophy win forever. But can he just win forever with Drew Locke? Like I would, I would much rather take the shot. Look, maybe we're all wrong. We we know we're not wrong on Geno Smith. There's no chance. Geno Smith is definitely not Ryan Tannehill. We can agree on that. I think it's like ninety eight percent chance that he's not Ryan Tannehill or whomever. Right? Yeah. Like I don't I don't know who else the agent court Doug Flutie like. But Geno Smith, like, if you need to play three games because Russell Wilson is injured, great. Yeah. Top notch. Yeah. Do we have Russell Wilson? No. Um, no, not anymore. But the ch- there is I'm he was really he was still on the that. video for Super so that's that's the connection. I heard he got we... booed, dude. I was straight up. I, is that for real or no? I was at the arena. I didn't notice him getting booed. Okay. So I don't know. Okay, I'm I'm gonna treat that as fake. I think it was sort of. I'm. I'm sure accept. there were some boos there. I do. I don't think it was like the majority of the arena. Every person who is mad at Russell Wilson is on the list. I I mean I agree with that. Okay, Russell Wilson did nothing wrong. Let's make that clear. The only people who were wrong here were the people who did not give him an offensive line and did not invest in the offense his entire time here, who basically went out of their way to make Russell Wilson's life and job as hard as possible. Imagine your job. Imagine your fucking boss every single day is going out of their way to make your job and life as hard as possible. And then when you're not successful at it, goes out of their way to blame you for that. I don't know if I would say that. They talk about how they're going to really get you to the next level of doing your job, but that next level never really seems to come because that next level seems to involve having George Fant as your left tackle. And then when George Fant gets injured, that next level seems to involve... Tyler Columbus? I don't know. I don't know. It's, <laughs> Tyler been, it's been a while. Look, I would have I quit my fucking job too. <laughs> you would look for a new one. Anyway, you probably moved to a new house on a new hill and... Russell Wilson moved to a very, very large hill, but I, I'm, I was skeptical about it, but every Seahawks fan who boos Russell Wilson is on the list. I mean, 100% agree. Do you see the person who is just like capping for DK Metcalf as the most important athlete in Seattle? I, I did. And I was like, oh, okay. DK is a, a wonderful player. No, 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 like disrespect to DK Metcalf. Love DK Metcalf, but like. And obviously he's like, like if you're, Relative to the NFL right now, DK Metcalf is probably a better player than Julio Rodriguez is right now. It's just that Julio Rodriguez is 21. First of all, how dare you? Second of all... Also, neither of them are near, like, remotely in the same ballpark if it's as good as Brianna Stewart. Well, yes. And, and Julio Rodriguez is not relying on, DK, or on Drew Locke to help him out. I think that's kind of the bigger issue. And also didn't have a very good year last year. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it, it was an exemplary season. I love DK Metcalf, but I'm not going to be at the top of the list of people who are saying that DK Metcalf is one of the most important athletes in Seattle right now. We'll see. I guess we will. 
to me, one of the most important athletes in Seattle right now is Jimmy Shane, baby. Oh, well, Jimmy Shane had a good Saturday at Seafair as it returned for the first time since 2019 boat racing on Lake Washington. Uh, Saturday, there were three two-boat match races in the morning, followed by a last chance heat to uh, decide the four spots in the final, which was won easily by Jimmy Shane Hello. in his home street with me in attendance. Oh, wow. You were there. It was on Saturday. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, had a tough time time of things on Sunday. I didn't really I was, understand. I didn't understand what you were saying. When I was not there because okay. Superbird's last game was going on. Uh, in the first heat of racing on Sunday, Shane was one of two boats to uh, jump the gun for that heat, uh-huh. which was won by J. Michael Kelly in the U9 Boitano Homes. Shane then won the second heat of the day. In the final, Shane settled for the outside lane with the aim of bringing the most boat speed to the starting line. Usually that's the safer, more conservative move because if you're trying to fight for one of the inside lanes, you risk either getting disqualified for going too slow before the start, which is a very it's confusing penalty. Sport of all time. Really has ruined things. <laughs> Two butts ended up getting disqualified. Dave Villock uh, got disqualified as well as the U11. Uh, for the final, for violating the 80-mile-an-hour rule before the start. Usually you're safe when you're on the outside, and it looked like Jimmy Shane had it nailed at the start, but he was one boat length over the line at the start, jumped the gun, and uh, by the time he got that word over his radio a couple laps into the race, when he was way ahead of everyone, pulled to the outside, slowed down, and that allowed J. Michael Kelly... To win it on the water, the second consecutive Seafair win for J. Michael Kelly going back to 2019 in a different boat. Uh, previously, he was in the U-12 Graham Trucking, now in the U-9 Boitano Homes. Uh, it's the fourth consecutive final in Seattle that Jimmy Shane has lost due to penalty. Oh, wow. Of some sort. Okay, let me just ask you a question here. Yeah. If you and I were running hydroplane racing. Okay. It's mostly just you because you understand the rules, but me there to poke poke holes in what you're talking about. You're, right. the, you, you're there to deliver inflammatory statements it's just, in the media. No, 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 no. You understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you'd be like, "Here's what we're doing." I'd be like, "Have you thought about this? Whatever." Yeah. Right. You need you need somebody. To, you're stress testing it. Yeah. Uh, I like that we have our rules for running hydroplanes. <laughs> They're important it's, roles to have. It's not inconceivable. People don't really. It's not that desirable of a job. Of a job, co CEOs of the. H1 Unlimited. H1 Unlimited, great. Which we're, we're probably going to rename. Oh, we are? Yeah. All right, let's fucking get it. And more more races in Qatar. Um, <laughs> I don't think so. How are we restructuring hydroplane racing? Because right now it seems pretty broken. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we need more boats. Uh, but like these rules, like the you don't want the boat that is leading on the water to basically not count. Correct. I I don't know quite what the solution is with the 80-mile-an-hour start. I mean, one possibility is you just take away the fighting for lanes because that's what causes all of these rules is that they're trying to fight for lanes. And what it essentially means they is that— They initially did the, like, assign lanes, right, back in the day. Why did they decide to move away from them? So when we first started watching hydroplane racing in the early to mid-'90s, they were doing a really unusual thing where they did, they did not have a clock— the boats went around, and then they determined, like, are they close enough to each other? And then we're going to give them the green flag. Otherwise, they're going to go around again. Okay. I didn't know that was the case. Which was not a great idea. Mm-hmm. Then they moved to, we're going to assign lanes, and we're going to pick lanes 
but there's going to be a clock and you know you just got to be at the start line and zero yeah uh is close to it so that you know that at least allows some driver's skill the question is how you assign lanes in a way to make things competitive because obviously if you had like having the inside lane it's different this is what makes boat racing different than motorsports is the difference in lanes is like a huge amount over you know a a two-mile course when you can't like you know you can't there's no rubbing in hydroplane racing in car racing it doesn't matter that much yeah, because you can you get overlap really easily. There's not a giant rooster tail coming back out of the I back see. of a car. So you can drive right behind another car, just around them and go in front. Huh. You can't do that in hydroplane racing. You can racing. shake and bake. Yes. Yeah, okay, yes. got it. Uh, I watched the movie Days of Thunder last week. Oh. Okay. So now I'm an expert in NASCAR. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that that's the challenge is like, how do you do it so you put the best boats kind of towards the outside to make it more fair? You don't think in inverse points make sense? I mean, you could do that. It's too much of a punishment. It's It could be like golf, I guess. Tell me more. I don't know what, what's well, going not, on in golf. Not, not actually like golf, <laughs> but like, like you play the whoever's the farthest from the hole plays. Uh-huh. Like that concept. Okay. Yeah, and you could do that with picking lanes. I mean, I think that's probably the best golf, way to. Do... You kind of lost me there for Sorry. a second. <laughs> yes, I just, I just meant in order. Uh, I like golf. The other possibility would be if you just got rid of the eighty mile an hour rule, which I think was basically designed because the older boats had a very difficult time going slow, and like they would they would just they, die in the water. Yeah, and is it, it would be difficult to a, restart. But now all of these to boats go are new. really slow. It's kind of like it's kind of like uh, uh, Top Gun. Sometimes okay. being able to go well, slow is actually the advantage. Is this Top Gun Maverick? Because we're just straight up Top Gun. Well, you put on the bla- brakes and they fly right by. Okay. So that's original Top Gun. Okay. You can move the little okie doke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in this case, it's that basically... I have to Google okie doke. <laughs> oh, no. You want to be able to like establish your inside lane and then go very slowly around so that you kill the time before the start. And that's what the 80 mile an hour rule prevents. And that's the one that's the most frustrating. Because like you can see if a boat crosses the line early. Like that's obviously got to be a rule. And it's pretty uncontroversial. I but do the, not agree with this urban dictionary definition of okie doke. I do agree with the Washington Times and Obamaism. I don't know about that. Okay. Do you like to use it? I, I you see the term okie doke, meaning some sort of trick game scam attempt to fool, shortchange, deceive, or mislead. That's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe the 80-mile-an-hour rule has outlived its usefulness. But uh, I, I don't know that there's, like, an easy fix here is, I guess, what I'm trying to tell you. These Every Urban Dictionary definition of okie-doke is totally wrong. Maybe your problem is using Urban Dictionary. An informal in- explanation used by the English in place of okay? Fuck that. Yeah, I usually look at the Washington Post for my definition of the oh, okie-doke. Okay. So I'm a little skeptical of Obama getting credit for that. So that that's that's what we're getting. Uh, that's how we're changing hydroplane racing. Because right now, your description of this sounded really bad. <laughs> and, and it's like every year. They get four consecutive finals at Seafair. <laughs> the Jimmy Shane is Maybe lost Jimmy Shane should be the executive. Maybe it shouldn't be us, but Jimmy Shane should be making these rules. Uh, you, you think the rules might favor Jimmy Shane if he was the executive? <laughs> they would. It was only okay when Ken Muscatel was the uh, commissioner at the same time he, he was driving. Be a bad he was driver. like, yeah, was, yeah, there's only so much he could do with his seventh place boat. Is Bernie Little still alive? <laughs> 
Uh, sadly, R.I.P. Bernie Little is, is not with us anymore. I did have someone ask over the weekend whether Miss Budweiser, or last weekend, whether Miss Budweiser was still racing. What did that person like? Fucking! Uh, 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 oh my god! <laughs> I'm so mad. Rufin Winkle? No. Brigadoon. Did that person Brigadoon come out of the 1990s? <laughs> right. I, I think they just their their seafare knowledge came out of the 1990s. So. But uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have more more than five boats here next year, and that'll make <laughs> things better. Hopefully, you and I are the CEOs of it next year. <laughs> after after this pitch, after learning about the definition of okey doke, how could they not give us a call? We got a Brigadoon reference in there. I think it was mostly right. <sighs> Fantasy genius knows all about it. She says it has something to do with Irish something or other. Well, on that note, uh, most importantly. Mariners, 13 innings. It feels, it feels like it was an eternity ago that that game happened, that Luis Castillo pitched his beautiful eight innings. That victory, that hit by Luis, by Luis Torrens. Big night for Luis's. Yes. Uh, it, it, was, it was a great night for the Mariners. And I think, again, could go a long way toward the wild card. The Orioles are coming on strong. These, every game matters right now. So... Uh, it was a very fun one, and we'll be back next week talking about an actual Seahawks game. Uh, I'll be talking about the pit at Turnstile and JPEG Mafia. <laughs> I'll be previewing the WNBA playoffs. There we go. We're getting into it. This is the Pelincast season now. We'll see whether the Sounders have lost to Northern North Macedonia. Yeah, I think they will. <laughs> they would. Yeah, I mean, yes. And on that note, thanks for listening. Thanks.